0: Today's episode of Wizards After Dark is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, guys, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Wizards tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in just two seconds. Taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play. Work that clock to your advantage and score last-minute tickets. Second, second, I really blew that beginning. Wow. I'm leaving it. It's staying it's happening for a that's what happens the wizards just played their first back to back of the season which means that I'm on my first back to back podcast and so that's how I'm opening back to back podcasts the wizards played for a second consecutive night and I am podcasting for a second consecutive night from my living room because that's how we do things now I was not there in Phoenix for the very wizard Z wizardzing that happened there where they Gave up 132 points and they scored 140 and they won and they're now 6-10 and because they hit uh, approximately a million and seven threes and beat the Suns uh, and played much better than they did in Denver when the offense was really stifled by one of the best defenses in the league. Uh, but I do have a guest, even though I am alone, I am not alone in spirit because I've got Gina Mizell who covers the Suns for us at The Athletic on the Skype line right now. Hi, Fred. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Of course. It sounds like my, uh, we were trying to mess with my audio, and it's a B-minus, you said? So uh, I, I will take that and apologize if I sound a little echoey to any of your dear listeners on this Thanksgiving Eve.
0: No, don't apologize. Because as you left out, what I also said was, it, for anyone who's seen my academic track record, <laughs> they know that I cannot give anyone crap for a B-minus on anything.
1: Yeah, no, I'll t- again, I'll take it, I'll take it on this, you know, late, late night. Later for you, it's only 1041 here in Phoenix, but yeah, you are, you're burning the midnight oil as you always are. It's
0: 1041, oh right, cause Arizona has that weird daylight saving stuff.
1: You mean that we're the only people who do it correctly, and that the time never changes? I like I grew up in Phoenix, and so I went, you know, 22 years of my life of never having to change a clock ever. The only reason you knew why daylight you knew that daylight savings time either started or ended is because like all the syndicated television would change like when it would be on. Um, and then I moved away and have done daylight savings for eight years and never understood it. And now I'm back where it all makes sense again. So I will vouch for Phoenix and Arizona never changing their clocks.
0: Is it a state thing or is it a portion of the state thing?
1: It's the whole state. Um, I think it's the only full state in the country that doesn't do it. And then there's like a random town in like Indiana or something that doesn't do daylight savings time, which that'd be super, super weird. But yeah, long story short is we are currently on mountain time, so we're at the same time as... You know, Colorado, Utah, like that area of the country. And then the summertime, we are on Pacific time, so we're the same time as California, Oregon, Washington, that whole whole area. So, yeah, it's uh, only two hours difference from the East Coast right now rather than three.
0: I think the places in Indiana that didn't observe daylight savings actually changed and do now.
1: Oh, really? So we're like the lone warriors so. still flying this flag of correct way of doing things. I just, again, as somebody who has now lived in places that do do daylight savings time, like when I lived in Oregon and it, the time would change, it would get dark at like four o'clock in the afternoon. And that I was know. just really depressing. So um, I, I don't like it. So, I, I, again, I will vouch for it forever. That sucks. The worst part of the winter is
0: not the weather. It's, yeah, it's the
1: darkness. It's the Seriously. Darkness. Yeah, it really is. Um, and I was uh, I was actually in New York for a non work thing. Well, kind of a work thing. But I was there Tuesday, Wednesday. And same thing. I was at the athletics offices in New York. And I was then leaving to go back to my hotel. And it was like 435 o'clock. And it was already dark outside. And I'm just like, man, this is not enjoyable. So I guess winter is settling in here, which means it's 70 degrees in Phoenix. So that's another another plug for the valley.
0: You know you know what was pretty hot tonight? The Wizards shooting. Oh,
1: good segue. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, it was. Yes. I felt like I should go out and like just shoot some three pointers because they probably would have gotten in for me inexplicably. So yeah, that was um that was it was one of those games where you thought, Okay, eventually the Wizards are gonna stop hitting their threes. And I mean they kinda they obviously didn't stay as hot the whole game as they did at the beginning, but still those those shooting numbers were pretty Pretty remarkable from the Wizards and also some not great defense from Phoenix, which is what they were obviously pretty mad about after the game is they just did not feel like they had the defensive intensity, particularly at the start of the game that they needed to have. But yeah, credit to their Wizards for coming out on the second night of a back-to-back and just shooting the bejesus out of the ball.
0: Yeah, so just some numbers. So the Wizards were 19 of 35 for three, from three, came one made three away from tying the franchise record. Which they set all the way back 27 days ago, when they made 20 in that 159-158 loss to Houston. The Wizards play a lot of these. Yeah. Uh, Bradley Beal was four for six. Davis Bertans was four for eight. Jordan McRae was three for six. Ish Smith was two for three. It was two for three. Thomas Bryant was two for two. Troy Brown was one for one. Uh, what what is that? Eight Wizards made a three. Not bad. Uh, They shot 57 from the field, 54 from three, 95 from the line. I looked it up. The last time a team hit all those landmarks in their shooting line was 2014, and it's only happened 15 times in NBA history. That's uh, not bad.
1: Not bad at all. And um, something that obviously the Suns were expecting, um, Bertons, that was a guy that Monty Williams brought up, by name, um, and, and obviously they have a history with both of them being in San Antonio at the same time, but, um, then he comes in and hits three threes, like, right off the bat, and Monty was like, that's just inexcusable, because, again, if, if you're telling, if you're telling us at Shoot Around the Media that you need to make sure that you've got a hand up when he's on the floor, then obviously the player should know it. But, yeah, it was it was coming from all directions tonight from, from the Wizards, and it was, again, a very impressive performance and just really set the tone initially, and that's a huge reason why, obviously, they built a big lead and then were able to hold on just because of the, the incredible shooting that they had the whole night.
0: I mean, Bertans is – he is an outrageous shooter.
1: Yeah, he's, and I've he's seen him – a very good role player. Yeah, and I've seen him do this not just to Phoenix. Like, I remember a game two years ago I used to cover – the Nuggets, and same thing, we were in San Antonio, and he came in, and, like, I can't remember if it was the first half or the second half, but he hit, like, four or five threes, like, just boom, 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 and you're like, who the hell is this guy? And, and like, that was when he had first kind of come on the scene a couple years ago. Now everybody knows who he is, or should know who he is, or at least what he can do on the floor, but, um, yeah, he's dangerous when he gets it going, and, and it's, like, it felt watching the game today that, like, anytime. time any Washington player, you know, whether it was open, contested, whether it was, uh, yeah, Bradley Beal or Ish Smith or Bertons or anybody, it was it was going to go in. So it just was kind of one of those nights for, for both teams where it's it's super uplifting for one side and really deflating on the other side when you just feel like you can't get a stop.
0: Yeah, so one of the really interesting Bertons things is that the Wizards came in, I shouldn't say the Wizards they but, but, there were people, it wasn't Wizards people who had kind of mentioned it to me, but there were just people around the league. Everyone agrees Davis Berton's a very good role player. But one of the questions around the league in, in, in involving his shooting wasn't is he going to make a high percentage of his threes. Everyone knows that he is capable of doing that. He's shown it every single game that pretty much that he's played in the NBA. But he was never really a high-usage three-point shooter. Mm. And he was a guy who... San Antonio would put in the corners Uh and just kind of let him do his thing in the corners, and he wouldn't really move all that much. The Wizards have him running pick and roll in the bench units with Mo Wagner and that kind of stuff. And there's been a lot made of the Wizards are letting Davis Bertans do more than he did in San Antonio. And that's most certainly true, and it's a very, very worthwhile observation. But if you want to take that even smaller, one of the other things that people wondered was, Is he a guy who is going to take, like, just a crap ton of threes? Or is he somebody that if you put him on a team with a lot of offensive options, he's going to take some threes? And if you put him on a team with not a lot of offensive options, he's still only going to take some threes. And it's really hard to scout that kind of stuff. This is where I think, like, basketball scouts are amazing, where... You have to know so far beyond just what you've seen on the game tape of a guy. You have to know the fabric of a, guy's, of a guy. You have to know how his mind works, you know. Uh, and right now, Burton's usage is about in line with his career. But if you look at the three-pointers he's taking, his three-point rate is really high. He's taking more threes per 36 minutes than he has at any point in his career. He took eight tonight. That's about in line with uh, his, his average on the season. He is taking a ton of threes. Uh, He has the highest three-point rate of his career, which is just the percentage of of shots that he's taking that are coming from three. Uh, Almost 79% of his shots are coming from three, which is phenomenal considering the type of player that he is. And every single night, he's pretty much just, I mean, you watch him, it's like he he thinks he can make any shot. I, I asked him after a game a few days ago, he gave an unbelievable answer. I asked him, How far out is too far out for you to just not feel comfortable taking a a three? And he said, I haven't found out yet. Oh, (laughs) snap. That's
1: amazing. No
0: hesitation. He said that. That was his natural response. Wow. Haven't found out yet and then just started giggling. Like, that is a (laughs) confident man. I started cracking up. It was such a phenomenal answer. Uh, And he just is so confident in throwing them up there. And and that, like, people talk about how the Wizards now have hired, really, really created a a uh, pro-personnel scouting department, which they didn't have before. They just kind of used their regular scouts, and, and the people like Tommy Shepard, who was the assistant GM at the time, and Frank Ross, who was the, uh, you know, basically the, the head of scouting for them and all that, those those guys would look at stuff and the assumption was just kind of these guys are in the league. We know what they are. And they didn't have specialized pro personnel scouts. Now they have these pro personnel scouts and the value of a pro personnel scout isn't this guy's good against the pick and roll because coaches can tell you that it's what makes this guy tick. What's his family like? What's his personality like? If we pull him off this team and put him on our team, how is he going to adapt in the locker room on the floor? That kind of stuff. What is this human being like? And so much of it is almost investigative. I mean, it's similar to kind of what we do, right? And so that is a really important thing, and I think a really cogent observation by the Wizards in believing how well this was going to work, because he's chucking them up, and it looks great, and he has been an excellent role player for them.
1: That's really interesting, like just kind of that distinction between the two scouting departments, because actually – And I don't know if there's quite this distinction in Phoenix, but that's something that when James Jones was promoted to GM last year that he said he really wanted to focus on as far as their scouting department. And, you know, they got pretty – Heavily criticized for like not having a robust scouting department and, you know, apparently not being out at as many college games or, you know, overseas or like scouting draft prospects. But James would say repeatedly that they were focused more on scouting NBA players and kind of, I think, you know, sort of foreshadowing that they were going to completely tear down and revamp this roster. And a lot of what you're saying about, you know, finding good people and people that will fit in the locker room in Washington is a lot of what they did here too. And obviously, a lot of these places of or a lot of these pieces have really clicked together. Now the Suns are on a little bit of a rough patch right now, and a lot of that is um, because of, of injuries to um, Ricky Rubio, who came back tonight. Um, Aaron Baines is, is still out with a hip flexor injury, and obviously DeAndre Ayton is still suspended for a few more games, but. I think that is, it's, it's interesting that it it's kind of seems like both of these teams maybe kind of went the same approach as far as, you know, you think of scouting and you think of prospects, but, um, so much of scouting is, is, yeah, scouting the guys in the league. And it kind of almost sounds like you're like little mini private investigators, but not just looking at their skill set and things that we can all notice, um, but also just kind of the, like you said, the type of person that they are and how they would potentially fit on your team as well. Yeah. And,
0: and to be clear, a lot of the moves the Wizards made, the Wagner move, the, the Burton's move, were before a lot of their their pro personnel people were hired. I mean, they didn't sure. hire like Johnny Rogers to run that department until later in the summer. But but this mentality has been there. It's really important for Tommy Shepard to look at that kind of stuff. And that's kind of a more modern way of running the NBA. You know, back in the day, not even that long ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, pro personnel scouting was, was looked at very differently from how it okay. is now. I think it's an interesting trend in front offices, and I think identifying how Bertans would fit on another team and, and how comfortable he was going to be, saying just let him fly all the time. You're going to play a lot of minutes, and you're going to be able to take just a ton of threes. I I think they, they did a really good job with that, and they're obviously doing a really good job implementing him because he is f- taking almost eight threes a game, and he's like 44%. He's just been quite good. Quite good. Yeah,
1: yeah and you need, the, you need those role players and those guys who can come off the bench and just light it up and kind of, you know, just, it, again, it can be demoralizing for another team when somebody that you have scouted for and that you know this is what this player does and what he's going to do, and yet he still comes out, he still gets open looks, and he still buries them. Like, that's just – I can't even imagine how, like when I watch it, I'm like, geez Louise, you know? And so I can't even imagine what it's like for coaches and players, like just how frustrating that's got to be when you've game planned for this guy and you think you have a way to account for him and and to stop him and he just still does what he does. So, yeah, you could tell there was definitely frustration from the the Suns tonight on, on their side. And, you know, Monty Williams mentioned, him by name and said that's inexcusable what he was able to do tonight, particularly when he first came in the game and just hit three right in a row, felt like.
0: You want to hear how much of a nerd I am right now? Go for it. So the Wizards have been challenging the Warriors. The, the Warriors have been horrendous defensively this year, as we all know. They yes. have the worst net rating in the league, and they have been at 30 in defensive rating really, the whole season. And the Wizards have been pretty much at 29, like a pretty solid 29. And the Warriors' defense has been slightly, now getting better is relative, but it's been getting slightly better statistically lately. And it's really coming down. It was at like 117 points per 100 possessions. And it's been coming down. And coming into tonight, it was at 115.2. The Wizards, after their loss, are at 114.7. The Warriors gave up 90 points tonight. The game just ended. They gave up 90 points to uh, Chicago in a win. And now I am sitting here refreshing the defensive rating leaderboard <laughs> pages to see right. if they improved by six-tenths of a point, and the Wizards are 30th in defensive efficiency right now. Because, man, the Wizards right now are second in offense. And to be second in offense—I mean, second in offense, second to last the defense— is pretty remarkable to begin with but to be second in offense and last in defense would just it would be a remarkable thing to see
1: yeah has any team ever like been the top offense and the worst defense or vice versa like has, has there ever been it's funny it makes it reminds me of um i'm a huge college football fan and so i listened to um the solid verbal which is a like the the OG as far as college football podcast. And one of their hosts, Dan Rubenstein, always talks about half teams, like his favorite half teams, like a team that has a great offense and no defense or vice versa. And I think the Wizards are probably the best half team in the NBA right now. I think that's, that's just what we have to conclude.
0: Oh, yeah. So the 2003 Milwaukee Bucks finished with the second-best offensive efficiency and the second-worst defensive efficiency. That's
1: some symmetry right there, yes. like to the to the T. Wow. But, but you <laughs> know what's unreal. so
0: frustrating? They went 42 and 40, and not 41 and 41.
1: Oh man, what a missed opportunity! I know, unbelievable. Yeah.
0: There's somewhere in that season, if I go through their schedule, there's yes. gonna be a, like a one point game where like
1: a buzzer beater of some yeah. sort. They are like, like who's on that, that team? Shot. Like right?
0: Yeah, like Ray Allen hit a three with four seconds left, and they won
1: right. by one. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy, though. I mean, it's just that's so rare to see a team that, again, is so potent on one side and so not on the other. I mean, Denver was kind of like that, um, not necessarily the year that I covered them two years ago, but the year prior, like once they really started running their offense through Nikola Jokic and really got rolling on that end, but their defense was just terrible. Um, But I don't think it was that dramatic as what you're describing to me right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I tried to look up. Teams that have finished the teams that have finished the highest in offensive efficiency that also finished with a negative point differential
1: yeah 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 that's a great way to try to figure that out
0: yeah because the, the bucks you know had 142 games and and were a net point three per 100 possessions I mm-hmm. have I have the numbers uh, I texted them to uh, shockingly this was fodder on a text thread i have with nate duncan and seth partnow because, there you go because that is uh that is what the nerds talk about and i can't find it in the text thread now but i i know the 2007 wizards were involved i think it was i think it was the 2007 wizards the it was the 2003 warriors so the same year the bucks did it the warriors finished third and we're a negative 1.3. The 2003 okay. Warriors, the 2004 Sonics, the 2006 Sonics, and the 2007 Gilbert Arenas Wizards. Wow. All finished third in the league in offense and had negative net ratings.
1: Wow. I mean, it, yeah, that's that's an interesting list. And it's obviously not many teams. So,
0: um, no, no. This, is, this is since 1996, by the way, when NBA yeah, I started mean, tracking, uh started tracking. Sure.
1: Sure. Yeah, no. That, I mean, that's, again, it's. Uh, I mean, I watched it all unfold tonight as far as seeing it up close, as far as just incredible offense and, you know, not great defense from either side, but, um, you know, allowing the the Suns to come back and make that a game. And, and, you know, the Suns scored 132 points. So that, um, yeah, it sounds like quintessential Wizards just for this early season.
0: I want to get your take on something. Okay. Uh, Devin Booker had Mm -hmm. an excellent start to the season. Mm-hmm. was shooting the lights out. His free throw numbers are still outrageous. His shooting numbers are still absolutely excellent. He's like 50-something from the field, 40-something from three, 95, 96 from the line. His, his numbers are still phenomenal. If you had to win, not not for the long term, if you had to win a game tomorrow, would you take Bradley Beal or Devin Booker?
1: Ooh, wow. Um, I think I would still take... Brad Beal just because of his experience level um that's something that Devin Booker has admitted that you know he hasn't been in many tight games with stakes in his career just because the Suns have been so bad during um, his tenure. You know, not not really his fault, obviously, but just the, the teams that have been built around him and the coaching instability and front office stability and, you know, all the dysfunction that this organization has had for the past decade. But um, there have been some moments, even early on this season, I mean, this team has been really competitive and, and hung with some really high-level teams. And um, Devin Booker's made some mistakes down the stretch, and I think that's part of his growing process is just learning in those clutch moments what to do. Um, And so I think I would still take Bradley Beal. Again, off the top of my head, I don't know what his um – you know, how many buzzer beaters he's hit in his career, just what his numbers are in those clutch situations. But I think I I would take him right now just because of that experience level and and what he's, you know, accomplished in his career so far. But I think Booker's on his way. I mean, you mentioned the shooting numbers. Um, He was a 50-50-90 shooter for like the first 12 or 13 games of the year, which was absolutely absurd. Um, You mentioned his three-point numbers have kind of gone down in the last few games. And, again, I think that's a lot of it is a product of that Ricky Rubio has not played for most of the last week. So just not having that point guard that's going to get you the ball in the right spots and just has that floor vision. Um, Booker has kind of at times looked a little bit like last year's Devin Booker when the Suns had no point guard. So I think that's contributed a little bit. And obviously just kind of some natural sort of – coming back to the mean, but no, he's having a great season. And I think he's going to wind up, of course, being a, a terrific, terrific player throughout his career. But I think right now I would still take Bradley Beal. So do you agree or disagree? I agree. Okay. And,
0: and I agree because of like the last point that you just made on Booker. Mm-hmm. So like Booker last year, his shooting numbers really fell off because he didn't have a point guard. Like, yeah. And, and that is not a criticism that – is literally the point of having a point guard. He puts mm-hmm. you in a position to score. That is what a good facilitator does. So that's not a criticism. But when you put Booker in a, in a point guard role, he he loses a little bit of what makes him Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. Again, that's not a criticism of Booker. That's just kind of who he is. I actually think he's become a really good passer. He's, yeah, he has. He's become really good at passing with both of his hands, like both hands, He's not he's not dependent on that stuff and I know that's something that like the Phoenix developmental staff from last year was working on on with him a lot uh, he he's become really really refined offensively but I think you still need to cater a roster to him in a certain way uh, in order for him to reach he's always going to be excellent but in order for him to reach his his peak capabilities, Beal I think is more versatile. So Beal I think like you talk about the experience I think he's a better decision maker, mm-hmm. uh, and I think partly because of that, like John Wall's out, they don't have a like a real true point guard. Isaiah Thomas starts at point guard, Ish Smith comes off the bench. Those guys are literally point guards. But those guys aren't starting caliber point guards. Uh, they don't. They don't have a, a Ricky Rubio caliber guy to play the one. Bradley Beal has, is is essentially their facilitator. Neither of those guys is really putting Bradley Beal in a position to where they're setting him up. Right. Uh, Bradley Beal is the best passer in their offense. He's the best pick and roll ball handler in their offense. He is really really good in the half court, operating out of the half court, and so I think. And I think you can put him on a team where he's not the first option. If he were to be on a team where the Wizards had... He could be in like a Clippers type of situation and would be excellent because he's so good running off the ball. I think Beal's probably a little bit better running off screens than uh, than Booker. He's so good off the ball and that kind of stuff. He's become just this unbelievable offensive player to me. Uh, and I think Booker... Absolutely get there, but Beal's got. How old is Booker now?
1: Booker just turned 23, and this right. is his fifth year in so this the league. Makes so, sense.
0: I mean, I think Booker right now is, is is. I'd have to think back to it, but I think Booker right now is probably better than Beal was when he was 23. But Beal's gotten a lot better. I think. Yeah. I think he's gotten a lot better the last three years. He hasn't had John Wall. It's forced him to learn how to play differently, and now he can just play every way. And uh, and so I think right now. If I had to win a game tonight, I think I would take Beal. He was really good tonight.
1: Yeah, he was. And it was, especially in the second half, it was like you – I looked at the box score and I'm like, holy shit, he's got <laughs> – sorry for cussing um, – he's got, you know, 30 points or something. At, at, you know, it just it, – it just he, he gets going and you're like, okay. Because initially in the first half, it was the other guys were beating the Suns or the other guys were, were getting it done for the Wizards. And you're like, man, okay. You know, Beal hasn't gotten going yet, and yet they're still shooting the the bejesus out of the ball, and and yeah, then suddenly in the second half he really got it going and hit some really big shots, tough finishes inside, and like you said, he's such a multi-dimensional player, and so no, there's a reason why Bradley Beal's been an all-star and Devin Booker has not yet, and I think he still has a lot of room to grow and particularly in those situations where he does have to win the game or tie the game or go on a little bit of a run to, to lead his team. So, um, but yeah, two really fun scoring two guards to watch and two guys who can do a ton with the ball in their hands or off the ball or just the the gravitas that they have and the, what they mean to their team is, is really fun to watch. So both both of those guys, it's a, it's a pleasure when they're on the floor together because they're both so talented. you have a
0: few more minutes to talk about Kelly Oubre?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Before, absolutely.
0: before we do, I do have a question for you, though. Yes. Do you ever wonder how to get the hottest new sneakers?
1: Sure. Don't we all? Yeah. I mean, I am not a sneakerhead by any means, but... Um, I can appreciate when somebody has a really good shoe game. So, yeah, I'm always like, where did you get those?
0: So if you do, if you ever wonder how to find the ones who barely hit the shelves, the answer is StockX, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, handbags, all that kind of stuff. Millions already are already using StockX to find everything after it sells out, from the latest Yeezys to every retro Jordan to the hottest new streetwear from brands like Supreme, Palace, Kith, all that stuff. If you're looking to air, Gina, I know you said you're you're just the biggest sneakerhead in the world, right? That's what you said.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, you you, you, yeah, I'm, you quoted me accurately. Yeah, I mean, you said you said I I went back, I edited that in. That's <laughs> that's what you said, right? Yes, absolutely. And you said that
0: you – so you might be looking to add the Air Jordan 1 Fearless UNC Chicago to your rotation. Who wouldn't be? Because you know exactly what that is. So maybe you're feeling nostalgic for Air Max 95s. You can find it all and more on StockX, sometimes even for prices lower than retail. I'm making jokes about this, but I do have friends who use StockX, and uh, they love it. They say it is awesome. Uh, users are allowed to buy and sell pre-owned, excellent conditioned luxury handbags, watches for brands like Louis Vuitton, Chanel, Gucci, Rolex. I mean, serious luxury brands. So if you want in on the hype, you can check out stockx.com slash bball, stockx.com slash bball for a surprise offer that won't be around long. That's stockx.com slash bball. Check it out today after we talk about Kelly Oubre. Let's, let's talk Kelly Oubre. Let's only, do it. Only played 18 minutes tonight, mm-hmm. scored well, did some good things, also did some things that I'm sure Wizards fans are familiar with. There was a moment, first play of the game that Mo Wagner comes in, and it was like new Wizard versus old Wizard in the most like typical in their form for what they have been or were as Wizards way where Oubre, with all his athleticism and speed and flash, comes charging at the rim, and Mo Wagner is like, I am going to throw my body in front of you, and you are going to try, and I am going to try to look as injured as possible when you ram into my chest, and he did it, and he took the charge, and Oubre had the turnover. Now, I was like, this is just like the perfect first Mo Wagner experience with Kelly Oubre. This is exactly Mo Wagner doing Mo Wagnering things. Uh, what what are your Oubre takes? Because he's been pretty solid this year.
1: Yeah yeah no it didn't um like you said played less tonight than he normally does um, partially because of foul trouble. Um, he had four, and then I think Monty kind of just stuck with the group that kind of spearheaded the comeback when when they started getting on a run a little bit there, and there was also, you you mentioned that moment was maybe not the greatest for Kelly Oubre, but there was another moment where um, he simply did not get back on defense, and I can't remember who ended up with the transition finish, but uh, Monty was not happy. He, he yelled at Kelly and was like, what, kind of, what are you doing? So that was pretty shortly after that is when he went to the bench and never came back in the game. And so I don't think that was the only reason why he never came back in the game, but that was part of the reason why he went to the bench. And then, like I said, the group that the Suns had on the floor was kind of, uh, the one that was making the run. So I think Monty just stuck with what was working. But, um, overall, he's had a really nice, um, really nice season. Obviously he got, his uh his pretty lucrative contract um this past summer to stay in Phoenix a 2-year deal for 30 million dollars and is sort of went into this season um being kind of knowing that he was going to be a starter knowing that he was going to be not the number 1 option but the you know number 2 or number 3 option depending on if DeAndre Ayton's on the floor or not and like being a guy that the Suns need to score in order to roll on offense the way that they want to. So, um, you know, he's brought all the stuff that, that Wizards fans know about, you know, his athleticism, his um, fearlessness inside. Um, he's a better three-point shooter this season than he's been in his career. And, um, you know, he's still a guy who doesn't pass the ball too much. Um, it really can get kind of sort of tunnel vision or just really is aggressive when he has the ball in his hands and wants to score. But, um, you know, overall, I think we've talked about it before, but he's been such an incredible culture setter for this team, and that even dates back to last season when this team was terrible, but um, Kelly Oubre was sort of who – gave, um, a fun vibe both to the locker room and to the fan base. Um, he really endeared himself very, very quickly with just his kind of flashy style of play, kind of some of his antics on the floor, the whole blowing the kisses when he makes a three. Um, now if he hits the deck, he does pushups. Um, all, it's all kinds of stuff that fans just love. And so I think every team needs a guy like that who kind of brings that passion and that personality and, um, he started the whole Valley Boys movement, which is kind of how they've identified as a team. And he's got merchandise now. They did a pop-up shop here before the season started. Like it's there's a whole full Kelly Oubre experience still going on in Phoenix. And and now I think you know, like I said, his production overall this season so far um, has sort of lived up to to just his personality. And, and again, he's not the number one option on this team, but he's a great complementary option and just a really good energy boost overall.
0: You know what I wonder? What's that? I wonder if if the Wizards hadn't traded him and had re-signed him. Mm -hmm. And I'm not – that trade was a a bad trade no matter what. And I wrote about it the next day as being a bad trade. I wrote about it this summer when Trevor Ariza just bolted in free agency, uh, which was predictable. It was confirmed to be just as bad of a trade that – even if you didn't want to keep Kelly Oubre, you were not forced into trading him for a guy who was going to be a strict rental. Yeah. Mm-hmm. a team that lost 50 games. You could have also gotten a future piece for your soon-to-be-restricted free agent where you still have some kind of market control over, over that kind of player. It was not a good deal. And what was still crazy about that deal was when the whole Marshawn Brooks thing happened and yes. the NFL fell <laughs> apart. The originally agreed-upon deal, the Wizards were getting a second-round pick, an unprotected second-round pick from Memphis. And then when they reconstructed the deal, the Wizards were giving up the exact same package they were in the original deal, and they were getting back the same player, but without the second-round pick. So they openly, like 12 hours later, openly agreed to a deal with a worse package than they, were original, than they deemed that first package worth, that same package worth. Like, they took a worse package than what they deemed they should get for what they traded out, which is – that will never make sense to me. And then they – you know, they should have let Eraser walk, and they he was unrestricted. They had no control over it. It was the right way to play it, but it just – anyway, I'm sorry. That didn't make
1: – it just no. didn't make sense when
0: they did it. But here's the thing. Here's my point. Here's what I wonder. You know, you talk about how, like, Kelly Oubre likes to do his own thing on the court, right? And he's very talented. He's very athletic, and he's not really a passer. And the way this Wizards team plays, very ball movement oriented, Mm -hmm. lots of dribble handoffs, tons of screening, a style that Kelly Oubre doesn't really play. And I wonder, let's say hypothetically, they held on to Kelly Oubre last year, and they re-signed him this summer. I wonder if he would be flourishing the way that he's been in Phoenix if he were still on this team. And I wonder if this team would be playing the same way if it had Kelly ubrey as a starting three. Uh, it's it's a hypothetical I don't know the answer to. Would he have bought into a new system and changed the way he played? Would he have tried to buy in, change the way he played and been worse off for it because it's not who he is? Would they have figured out a way where it's like, we play this way because of the personnel we have. And we, if we have different personnel, we're going to cater to our personnel differently and they're going to look differently. Uh, I just think it's an interesting hypothetical.
1: Yeah, it totally is. And, I mean, again, the the system that he's playing in Phoenix, um, Monty Williams calls it the .5 system, which is is similar to um, what they had run in San Antonio. And so that basically says that in .5 seconds you need to decide whether to shoot, drive, or pass. And and so that is it it just encourages swift decision-making and ball movement and all that stuff, too. But I think where it benefits Kelly is that, you know he he does have such an aggressive mentality that either when he gets the ball like at the top or something he's gonna drive and when he gets the ball in the corner he's gonna shoot and like so he he is pretty decisive he's not someone who's gonna hold the ball in his hands and try to make something happen and and what not he's going or he's putting it up no matter what it is, and so I think that's where um he can make a lot of stuff happen when there's not a lot of plays drawn for him uh Monty Williams was joking. The other day that sometimes Kelly gives him a hard time that, oh, there's not many plays drawn for me. And Monty's kind of like, well, look at the stat sheet. You're still producing. So I think that sort of just speaks to his role in the offense. But yeah, it is always interesting to sort of look back and, and say, okay, what would Ubre be, um, in, in Washington with the current team that they have or maybe like a little bit of a restructured team where he was starting and kind of wasn't sort of the, the guy that was still maybe trying to find his role like he was a year ago, um, it, it's always fascinating. And then, obviously, on Phoenix's side, when you talk about that trade and the the which-Brooks-is-it botch trade that we all hilariously still remember, is that Kelly Oubre wasn't even supposed to be on this team in that <laughs> original deal. He was going to Memphis. So uh, what the Suns thought was Dylan Brooks was supposed to be coming to Phoenix – and Kelly Oubre wouldn't have even been on this team. And so that's like a crazy sort of sliding doors moment for this franchise, at least the current state of it, is um, where would they be without Kelly Oubre right now? And that's kind of a really fascinating thing to sort of examine as we come up now. It's uh, you know a couple weeks until the year anniversary of that trade. And just because of all the stuff that I mentioned as far as his impact, both on the court and sort of culturally within this team that like the original trade, he would not have been in Phoenix. And that's just kind of crazy to think about when we uh, sort of look at uh, this, the botched trade and then what sort of came out of it.
0: Anything else you want to touch on?
1: No, I, I would just say that the last three times these teams have played, it's been really weird, like exciting, high scoring bonkers games. I feel like, you know, tonight, um, did I can't remember? Did the game the last game in Phoenix late last season? I don't think it went to overtime, but I think the Suns like had a chance to win. Yeah, but the Wizards won, and then of course the like three overtime, absolutely insane game in Washington right before Christmas last year was just the the Thomas Bryant game. That's the way that, and he was a killer again tonight for 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 the Wizards against the Suns. But yeah, these it's how random that the Wizards and the Suns like play random games, it's just, it's it's very interesting, so I was thoroughly entertained tonight, even though there was absolutely no defense played. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to Wizards basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, it sounds like they play a lot of weird games, so maybe I'm just catching, I'm like, oh, the Suns and the Wizards play weird games, but just the Wizards actually play weird games.
0: The Wizards play the weirdest games, oh man, all their games, They're, they play a lot of close games, and a lot of, like, comically high-scoring games and it's it's great uh anything to plug for my listeners before we sign off
1: oh goodness um yeah i would say just keep reading the athletic and all of our terrific writers on staff and um no i will definitely i I know there are wizards fans that are still interested in the kelly Oubre experience and i will definitely be having more written stuff on him in the days and weeks to come like again as we get closer to the anniversary of that trade and and some other things uh, coming down the pike. So, yeah, I would say maybe stay tuned for that, but otherwise, uh, everybody have a happy Thanksgiving.
0: The Kelly Uber experience is the name of my college band.
1: There you go. <laughs> it, it, I mean, is it not an experience? Like it's just a full it's a full gamut of just stuff and I am always here for it because it is never uninteresting, which is just, we just want interesting, so I, I am always here for it.
0: Yeah, we wear earrings and uh, tight-fitting gold jackets with no shirts under them, and... <laughs>
1: <laughs> and some converse. You gotta have the converse there, because that's his shoe brand, so... 100%.
0: Like, we wear, like, he... throwback, like Chuck Taylors.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he had um, his best game so but you far you can this buy at StockX, you know. There you go, exactly. No, his best game that he had um, a couple weeks ago, he dropped 30 points, and his his Chuck Taylors literally had flames on them. And so that was a little – that was a nice um, – that lead sort of wrote itself. Um, but then last season at one point, he had Chuck Taylors that had, like, fur on them. Like, well, I mean, not actual fur, but they were they were fuzzy Chuck Taylors. And I can't remember what color they were, but they were, like, green or orange or something. And I'm just like, nobody else can pull this off in the universe but you, Kelly. So I I will always respect him for that, for the risk-taking and also just the fact that he can pull it off because I don't know anybody else who could.
0: Yes. And uh, subscribe to Wizards After Dark. This one is, if you're listening on The Athletic, you might not know, this one's a free episode. You can go on iTunes. You can subscribe to Wizards After Dark. And you will get most of the episodes over there on iTunes. Give us five stars. Leave a uh, leave a review along with your rating. That's always nice. Uh, you can subscribe to The Athletic. If you're listening for this one for free and you want to get the one bonus episode, I do a week. You can subscribe to The Athletic. You don't just get Wizards After Dark. If you subscribe to The Athletic, you get everything. You get my coverage, Gina's coverage. You get... NBA, MLB, everything else. And you can get 40% off on a subscription if you go to theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark. Simple as that. 40% off on an annual subscription. It's 36 bucks for the entire year. Theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark. Ennis Kanter wore an athletic sweatshirt to the to the Celtics game tonight. So I'm sure our company Slack was blowing up about that. But Ennis Kanter asked me for a free subscription last year when he was making $18 million a year. So good for, <laughs> good for, good for Ennis Kenner. I did not give him a free subscription, but, but I guess I, I don't know if he uh, if he's going to be writing a why I joined an athletic, why I joined the athletic article soon because I didn't even know that hoodie existed.
1: Oh, I, I have one. I have it. I got it when I went visited uh, our headquarters in uh like a couple weeks ago. So it's it's new and I can vouch that it is incredibly comfortable. I actually wore it to shoot around today. So um it's it's very comfortable. So good job Ennis and yeah, you need to get out to San Francisco to get one for yourself.
0: Yes. I do, apparently. Um, that's it. I uh, TBD on Friday night. The Wizards play the Lakers on Friday night, the Mo Wagner revenge game. I love, I was talking about this last episode, I love that the Wizards' centers are former Lakers, former Laker cast-offs, and the Lakers' centers are former Wizards' cast-offs, and none of them were traded for any of the others. So you got the Mo Wagner revenge game, the Thomas Bryant revenge game, the Dwight Howard revenge game, and the JaVale McGee revenge game. I don't know if I'm going to podcast after that one yet. TBD, I normally don't on Fridays, but I'm considering it. Otherwise I will be podcasting Sunday after the Clippers game. And that one's going to be a free episode as well up on iTunes, as well as on the athletic as all my episodes are. I'll be back then. Gina, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks Fred. Happy Thanksgiving to you and to everybody listening. Yeah. Happy
0: Thanksgiving to everybody. I hope you enjoy your holiday. I will be flying out to Los Angeles, so I can't say it's going to be terrible. I get to be in LA. It'll be quite wonderful. Uh, I will be back maybe Friday, maybe Sunday. We'll see. Whatever it is, I'll talk to you guys then.